Before we get started, I want to tell you about one of our awesome new sponsors, Ebles. It's the most wonderful time of the year. You know, except all those aches and pains that creep up as the weather gets cooler, or God forbid you pull a Clark Griswold while putting up the lights. But what if there's a way to be able to enjoy the cold weather of the holiday season without the associated bodily aches and pains? Well, imagine no further as Evil's CBD Topical Freeze Gel is here to the rescue. Whether it's to help that nagging shoulder injury from sports ball game of yesteryear, or it's to help alleviate those deep aches and pains CBD Topical Freeze Gel from Ebels offers the industry-best quality and strength to offer lasting relief from chronic pain. And this holiday season, all members of the Brian Nichols Show audience can get that perfect gift to self or stocking stuffer for that fitness fanatic in the family at an exclusive discount at checkout using code TBNS. Again, use code TBNS at checkout to get your discount applied to your order. Listen, the holidays are especially tough this year, so let's at least not spend them in pain. So use code TBNS at checkout to see the evil's difference today. And now, on to the show. Can I pause for a second and, and just note that uh, we got Brian on here who's getting uh, Congressman Massey on, and our typical lineup includes like homeless people that believe in Bigfoot. <laughs> Welcome to the Brian Nichols Show, your source for common sense politics on the We Are Libertarians Network. The Brian Nichols Show is the fastest growing liberty podcast that brings together people from all means of political thought as we seek to have meaningful conversations about the issues you care about. At The Brian Nichols Show, our goal is to leave the audience educated, enlightened, and informed. And now your host, Brian Nichols. Happy Wednesday! Welcome to The Brian Nichols Show. I am your humble host, Brian Nichols, and yes, you are in store for another phenomenal episode with, yes, another phenomenal guest. And today, it is actually an old family friend, Janessa Fenton, joins The Brian Nichols Show to really just have a conversation. And that this is something that I think we need to do more as a society. In America, right now, the tribal politics is far too common and not too uh, talking to one another seems to be the most uh, common way out of uh, really uncomfortable situations. And instead, I think we need to embrace those uncomfortable conversations and really focus on common ground in areas that we can find some agreement with each other, number one. But number two, uh, when we find those areas of agreement, figure out ways to get those areas of agreement into action. And uh, that's exactly what uh, we focus on today when Janessa joins the show, going really through her uh, departure from left-wing politics, more towards an independent look at uh, the the mainstream political narrative. And uh, it's really a a refreshing and exciting conversation because if we can make uh, more conversations like this, then I think we are in a much better spot as a nation going forward. So that being said, on to the show, Janessa Fenton here on The Brian Nichols Show. Hi, Brian. How are you? I'm doing well. Janessa, thank you so much for joining The Brian Nichols Show. Now, a little bit of some history. Janessa, you and I, we we grew up next door neighbors, essentially. I mean, I think because yep. in the middle of nowhere, we had enough space between us in, in farmland that we technically are technically next door neighbors. Um, but yep. with that being said, we grew up in, in a very rural area in northern New York. And, you know, with that being said, you I know you went off to, to Harvard, which I mean, yep. holy cow, congratulations from upstate New York to Harvard. That's phenomenal. Uh, I navigated down to Philadelphia. And I know when growing up, because obviously, you know, we are all in politics. You and I especially were very focused in politics. And you were always more on the blue team. I was on red team. And, and you know, as I go to college, I was still team red. I was college Republicans GOP for, goodness, two, three years. I forget. And I then started to, to question things around 2012. And I found myself gravitating more and more towards this libertarian ideology. So 
you know, my my audience, they've heard my sh- my stick, my my spiel a million times over why I'm a libertarian, why I believe what I believe. But, you know, I would love to hear from you because obviously I think it's different being somebody who grew up more from a, a left-leaning mindset in, number one, a very rural, conservative-leaning area. So let's start with that, number one. But number two, I would just love to hear kind of your perspective and how you got to where you are. Because candidly, a lot of my folks in my greater audience, they talk to people more on the right. So I want to have more dialogue with folks on the left to kind of figure out how you got to where you are. So I know that's a very broad question, like, Janessa, how did you get to where you are today? But with that being said, let's kind of do a quick introduction into, uh, you know, your kind of story and, and your, I guess, background now in, in terms of your professional career, but also as we go forward, your pol- uh, political, I guess, philosophy and how you got to where you are. Yeah, so I would say definitely um, kind of similar to you. Um, growing up, I was definitely left-leaning, um, even different than my own parents and my family. And um, I think I just kind of arrived at that decision at a young age. Um, And it's actually interesting because since then, um, similar to you in college, I was in the Harvard College Democrats and volunteered and worked on several different campaigns and different candidates. Um, Graduated from college, went out into the working world. Um, My original intentions were to go to medical school. Um, and then I ended up not going to medical school because I wasn't able, um, to afford to attend. So, um, ended up taking a different path in life and I studied my MBA at SUNY Polytechnic. And I would say actually probably studying my MBA, um, probably brought me a little more towards the center. So I definitely consider myself liberal when it comes to social issues, um, even in some ways uh, socially libertarian in many aspects. Um, cause I do find that I differ somewhat with my peers on the left is when it comes to like the second amendment or, um, gun rights. Um, and, but when it comes to economic policy, um, I consider myself somewhat fiscally conservative or fiscally moderate. Um, and that definitely developed further, um, when I was in MBA school. So up until recently I was registered as a Democrat, Um, And then I decided actually when I moved back to New York State um, to change my registration to no party. So currently I'm not registered to any party. Um, And part of that was motivated by I lived in Vermont for a number of years um, where I worked at the University of Vermont Medical Center. And one of the things I really um, liked, and I know that you and I have had a lot of conversations about the two-party system and the problems with the two-party system, um, is that in Vermont, there was actually viability for someone to be independent or someone to um, be outside of that rigid two-party mindset. And so that's kind of, I would say, my political journey. Um, So I don't really identify with any particular political party at this time, Um, although I I do sometimes joke that I would probably be a 1950s or 1960s Republican. (laughs) (laughs) Um, but you know, today in in the modern world, you know, I vote for who I think is the best candidate that does tend to be more democratic candidates than Republican candidates, but there are definitely, um, Republican candidates that I strongly support. Um, like our state senator back home, Patty Ritchie, I'm a huge fan of hers. Um, but yeah. Cool. 
it's fascinating. Like we, we kind of were political foils, you coming more from the left, I coming more from the right. And we do. It's, it's funny because I remember after I graduated college, too, I was like, I don't know if I'm really Republican anymore. And I, I started to look more towards a different means of thinking. And, you know, I know for myself, I found myself going down this this libertarian rabbit hole. And I I guess I kind of I base my entire way I look at the world is through the lens of a gentleman, actually, uh, Matt Kibbe, who I just appeared on his show over on The Blaze. And um, his book he wrote back yeah, a couple of, I say a couple of years ago now, about a decade or, or so ago, ago, I guess now, um, called Don't Hurt People and Don't Take Their Stuff. And if I guess if we approach that mindset from the way we would live our lives, but also I would say the yeah. way that we would govern society, I think that we would be much better off. And that's why I would, I would say I have, as the years have gone by, I gravitated more away from the Republican mindset because I used to really embrace the GOP because I looked at them as a means to enact fiscal responsibility. Um, but also, you know, at that point in time, I really didn't think that the social issues were the top of the the, the conversation. But then I started to see when I was at the college that, no, there, there was a very big social implication to you know the, the, the GOP's policies. And it really it got me questioning, like, OK, so what, what's the answer? And as I started to do more and more research, I, you know, I started looking more to, to libertarian uh, philosophy. I was like, well, I think this is kind of the, the, the realm for me. And it was this non-aggression, you know, really the non-aggression principle, looking at property rights, respecting those boundaries and stuff that kind of got me on board. So I'm, I'm curious, Janessa, because you, you identified kind of as a liberal, but at the same point in time, like a fiscal conservative. So I guess what's kind of keeping you looking at the Democratic Party right now in that camp? What, what is it that they're presenting to you that's that's kept you saying, OK, I'm going to keep on voting, voting blue in this case? Yeah. So for me, I think in a lot of ways, um, for me, there's certain values that I hold Um especially when it comes to um, LGBT issues, women issues. I consider myself a feminist. Um, so when people come out, candidates that have very strong opinions, you know, that um, a woman doesn't have a right to choose or are against um, gay marriage, that's kind of um, a line for me in many ways. Um, and I think also with um, still continuing to support Democrats, as I think in a lot of ways, um, when it comes to fiscal policies. Um, definitely the businesswoman in me. I remind myself that you ha often have to spend money to make money. And so for me, I think I see spending on items like education, particularly as an investment, as something that provides an ROI to um, our greater society as a whole. Um, so I do support, you know, we need to have a balanced budget. We, you know, deficit spending is bad, <laughs> um, you know, those type of things. But I also don't think that like, we shouldn't spend any money ever or that um, there isn't value in government making large investments. In certain areas. So would it would it be fair to say, I guess, that you kind of look at government as a means to enacting a societal good that we've kind of set as a standard? Yeah. And, and I almost wouldn't say necessarily, I see it more as like, they're not solely responsible, but I see them as a strong partnership. So I think that for me, it's all about striking the balance. Like, I don't think the government is best served to run everything independently, but I think that the government 
by the nature um, of how our social contract works is a strong partner in investing in that. So where I like to focus or what I like to see is when there's strong partnerships between um, private corporations or private business and government, because in many cases, um, you know, the government is able to do things that um, we're just not able to do, um, you know, in the private market as efficiently. It's it's interesting though, right? And, and I'm going to poke at you a little bit here because I remember back in 2004, way back in 2004, um, you know, we had the, the John Kerry election. I remember you were very anti-war. And it's interesting because I, I, you know, as a libertarian, one of the things I poked the GOP on about this is is saying why are you why do you continually support these you know large corporations who are buddy buddy with their government donor or their government um sponsors basically that they're sponsoring yeah. and and really is that not the same kind of issue that you would run into when you start to talk about like the societal good right and i, I say that because i mean look right now we can look at the public education system we have some schools they, they don't they don't even have options for kids right and right. i would say part of that problem was due to the monopoly that a lot of the, the government schooling, the public schooling system had in certain areas where there really wasn't alternatives that were out there for, for kids. So I know there's a gentleman uh, named Corey DeAngelis. He works for the Reason Foundation, and he focuses a lot on like school choice, for example. And and one of the things he talks about in school choice is saying, you know, if you were to have like a supermarket, right, you yeah. wouldn't like let's take you know, where we're from, right? We have the one Walmart, right? But if we yeah. were only allowed to go to that Walmart in our zip code, right, that would be weird. Like that, that wouldn't make sense. Yeah. But that's how we that's how we do schooling in in a you know a traditional sense, and we use the word traditional very loosely, right? But I guess that would then lead me to ask you. So, do you get a little weary, I guess, when you look at using government as a means to an end, when we look at the way that government has been used in a means to an end, and it has had some, I'd say, pretty not good outcomes. Is that fair to say? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And that's where I say that I don't think, like, I do think that there should be choices. You know, I do think that if a family wants to homeschool their child or send their child to private school, like, that should be allowed. <laughs> like, they're allowed to do that. Um, you know, but where I see it more as is almost um, the government creating um, kind of like a, a bottom floor, so to say. So that, you know, for instance, you know, when the pandemic hit, I spent a lot of time researching ancestry and things like that. And, you know, up until, um, I would say my grandparents, um, you know, most of my family never went to school past eighth grade. Um, and then, you know, the opportunity that was given through the public school system, um, you know, allowed, you know, for my grandparents on down, um, you know, allowed us access to that education that wasn't available before. So right there. So I'm actually, I agree with you, right? And I think maybe that's where the, the confusion comes with a lot of, li- lot of libertarians uh, in the perspectives that we're promoting. It's not a matter necessarily of saying that that, that opportunity shouldn't exist, but more so saying that if, so if you didn't have that one entity saying that we're going to be the ones supplying it that because there's a demand for it in the market. So like the, you wouldn't just have parents being like, nah, we don't want to educate our kids. Like number one, parents are going to be like, yo, we want our kids to be watched when we have to go to work. Like number one, <laughs> we can get the kids yeah. out of the house. <laughs> number two, we want them to be productive 
adults, right? So there's going to be a demand out there, and we see that in the private schooling sector, that there there's still going to be educational institutions that will pop up, right? So I guess, you know, that's maybe where the confusion would come is saying, instead of saying that because the public schooling system is offering it, and right now they're pretty much the only option in many cases, that to the contrary, we would see instead a market pop-up. Like you would see, instead of just Walmart, you have Walmart and Kmart and Target and Ames, if Ames existed still. But you would have those right. other those other stores that would compete because now there would be an incentive to, number one, offer either A, a better service um, that you could justify a higher cost for, or B, a less costly service um, that you're still going to be able to offer a base level. And I would dare say one of the things I would see in the market is that as the market continues to advance, that threshold continues to get higher and higher and higher. Whereas, I mean, granted, look where we're from in some of the, the instances. I know we had some school books from like 1984 and, and you know, yeah. we were in school in the 2000s. So that's that's a problem, but that's not, yeah. I mean, that's what we're getting in the public schooling system. So I would say, could we look at a private alternative and say, maybe that could give us a better solution? Yeah, I mean, I think definitely using our school as an example because like it's hard right because on the one hand like fantastic i had access to education that my great-grandparents didn't have um but we also came from a school that was highly subsidized by federal and state taxes like you know 85 percent of our budget was non-local you know so because it's rural and because of the size um, you know, there just isn't necessarily the financial resources to support that. Um, but that being said, on the same hand, when I went to Harvard, um, I was accepted as part of the Harvard Financial Aid Initiative Program, um, which was specifically targeting um, underrepresented students um, who came from schools like ours or any inner city schools and lower income families um, to and basically the way it was set up is if you get accepted, you get a full ride, you know, outside of like books and certain things. Um, and so I, I benefited from that tremendously and I'm, you know, so thankful for that opportunity. But at the same time, I was very much behind my peers who had gone to more prestigious, um, you know, private schools or public schools. Um, for instance, to get credit for any of your AP courses, you had to have gotten at least five fives and five AP courses, our school didn't even offer five AP courses. So, you know, and all of the coursework assumed that I had taken AP classes already and those just weren't offered at our school. So we definitely think that there's opportunity for us to do better. And I think that um, competition, I think, will change that. And I actually am really curious to see what's going to happen with what's going on with remote learning, um, because we're starting to think of school not so much as a building with four walls and a roof, um, but you know these alternative models. Yeah. And um, so I, I, I'm, that's something that I do support. Well, so that's my day job, right? My day job. We yeah. work in telecom, and we are supporting you know the the infrastructure that's really allowing this to happen. And and candidly, Janice, this this has been like in the process of happening. I mean, the, the the modern workplace as it was, was kind of on its last dying breath to begin with because yep. the means to work from home, you have these companies who are looking really for any excuse there was to be like, how can we get rid of this massive fixed cost that we have in, in, our, mm-hmm. in our leasing or what have you? So 
as soon as the pandemic hit and now the work from home mentality or the the educate from home opportunities became you know real not just opportunities but they became viable viable like real long-term solutions I think that was the genie being let out of the proverbial bottle, right? So Absolutely. But then and I guess that would go I guess back to my point. And that that actually created a necessity for a market to innovate. And we're seeing, you know, not just in the education sector, I mean public schools were were struggling to to adapt whereas private schools were ready to pretty much transition in a heartbeat because they have to react to the market otherwise they're going to lose business so i mean right. teachers they're they're not going to lose their business they're they're pretty much set and i know that's actually one of the conversations we had had before was about tenure uh, and such there but looking i yeah. guess at so what kind of started this conversation i wanted to get to to this mindset too because we started discussing billionaires right and i think the post we yeah. originally discussed was uh, this idea that there shouldn't be billionaires, that you have your $999,999,999.99. And at that point, you I think the Post was saying either tongue-in-cheek or seriously that every dollar should go towards next name government program towards some societal good, right? And I guess I... Now, I, being the libertarian, has to ju jump in and be like, well, hold on, let me ask this question, because I think it is a serious question, and the fact that you're more economically thinking of, of a, I would say, a rational approach to economics versus at some of the more hyper-left, you know, I would say, when you look at the idea of setting some cap at earnings, so a billion dollars, right, you're kind mm -hmm. of setting this arbitrary pie where the pie is set because we say a billion dollars is this massive amount of wealth that nobody should ever have more than, right? But I think it's ignoring the idea that the pie is constantly growing. So while the the, the proportion maybe, let's say you go from, you know, your, your top 1% to your top, you know, 10% is getting more disparage in the numbers, the, the still the number of the pie as it's growing is still getting bigger. So 4% going to 3%, 3% is still more than it was at 4% because that pie has gotten bigger. So I guess I'm just, I was missing the argument. Where, where's, where am I wrong? Why, why should we not have billionaires? I guess I'm, I'm confused. Yeah. So for me, I'm not looking at it so much. I think in the post from the meme um, is I think that, our current system that we have right now, if you kind of look at American history and tax policy over the past hundred years, and we look at, you know, what, what produces, you know, the, the best economy or what produces um, the biggest pie. And like you pointed, like clearly some of the billionaires have um, like, Jeff Bezos and, you know, Mark Zuckerberg um, are very innovative people who have revolutionized industries. And so you want to have that innovation. You don't want to stifle that innovation. Um, so I'm, you know, very firm on that mindset. But I think what we have seen that has happened is that the, the pay differences between how much a CEO makes per hour versus their average line worker. You know, we started back with Ford and Ford felt very strongly that he wanted to make cars that his employees could afford, that that made sense. Like you're going to sell more cars if they're affordable for the average man. 
Um, and I think in some ways, um, we've gotten away from that. And I feel like we're getting into a cycle or a spiral where that, that wealth is being monopolized and it's not necessarily providing innovation. So for instance, with the most recent tax cuts, um, you know, good economic theory is you give, you know, companies tax cuts, they'll spend it on, um, you know, buying a new factory, hiring more workers, things like that. But what we've actually seen, what is happening is that they're buying their they're doing stock buybacks, which is basically just creating bubbles in the market. Like there's no innovation or, you know, there's no necessary um, greater value that's being provided um, by creating those bubbles. Don't worry. No libertarian is going to argue with you about arbitrary bubbles being inflated because because so here I I think I'm hearing the the point you're making, right? That a lot of this like the, the the do do good i guess you will you're saying about billionaires and such and, and the do good policies are are only just helping those people that are enacting the policy which i would agree and i would say a lot of libertarians are like yeah that's our that's actually our point and and it yeah. actually kind of goes back to the the beginning i guess the 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 part we started out with and that is kind of the fundamental flaw in government is that at the end of the day they kind of they have the monop if they have a monopoly on a particular service, and in this case, at the end of the day, they always have a monopoly on one thing and one thing only. It's violence, right? Everything the government does is backed up by the arm of, you know, somebody with a gun at the end of the day. So, you know, if if we're enacting these certain do-good policies, I just I always end up seeing it not panning out. So I guess help rectify my fears. Why do you think that we can make it work? In this case, when we're talking about like billionaires and where we should spend that money when we've had just a track record, I mean, war on drugs, war on terror. I jokingly said if we did the war on ice cream, you know, I'm sure the government would find a way to mess it up. But I'm sure that they, <laughs> it, it, that's just the way it, it ends up being. So, Janessa, help me, I guess, rectify those fears that I've had. Yeah, so I I definitely, right, like I kind of go back to the, the idiom that, you know, absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? Like you you give any entity so much power and it's going to be corruption. So I think that for me comes back and maybe it's my scientific background is I see it kind of as a balancing act and almost like, a like homeostasis. I am originally from a science background, right? I see that when we look at our society and we take a step back at a higher level, we've got the government, got individual people and family units. We've got um, private business, religious institutions, you know, these different pillars of our society. And to me, we stand best when all those pillars are working together and there's a balance and power between all those pillars. So I agree. I think that if we give too much power to the government, we do run into these problems. And But likewise, if we give too much power to private business or to private corporations, we run into a different set of problems. And I think that's what we've seen happen. And that's honestly part of the reason why I changed um, my, my, you know, political party was because I feel like at this point, both major political parties are um, heavily influenced by lobbyists and corporate money and are not really doing what's in the best interest of the American people. And by no means am I anti-business or have anything against business. I think that business plays a very 
clear and positive role in our society. I guess my just calling of things is that I think we need to move the scale a little bit back towards the middle, back where it was in the 50s and 60s, um, without, you know, swinging the pendulum too far to the other side. And I guess, Janessa, one of the things that really, uh, it, it catches my interest, I look yeah. myself personally, right? Like I came from more of a, a hardline, you know, GOP mentality. And I know for you, yeah. you, you came from a, a mentality more of the, the, the left. And you came from that mentality saying, you know, you, I, I mean, I know it was funny because we were right down the road from each other and you know, you'd have, uh, you know, one, one sign, uh, for the, the one team and not have the, the red team sign for the other team. But you know, to see that there has been this desire for uh, really an approach to more of, I would say, a more common sense approach to politics, avoiding this partisanship. Right, exactly. And I'm very much, again, kind of going back to my original science background, like, you form a hypothesis, you test it out, you have a theory, but you constantly have to be retesting that. And I have, you know, like I've said, changed, and it, it sounds like you have as well, over time, our political philosophy, and that is, you know, through these, these conversations and these questionings. Yeah, no, and, and I guess now my my sales mind kicks in, right? Because I I changed my political party. I'm now officially a member of the Libertarian Party, and I I guess I would ask you. So, what's kind of holding you back? I know you said you went from you made a conscious effort to not to be a Democrat anymore, and now be politically independent. So, I mean, you had the chance. You probably looked at the Libertarian uh, Party. I'm sure you looked at the Libertarian candidate. So, what was it that, that's holding you back from from considering looking into this Libertarian world more? Yeah. So I think what's holding me back right now is that I, so we kind of talked about like on the local level and seeing you get involved in libertarianism and how, um, I think that's great. And I think we need more than one political party and more than two political parties <laughs> in this country. I think we need a diversification of thought. I think I'm at the point right now where I'm still kind of exploring that and I don't want to tie um, my anchor to any one party right now. Um, what I want to see is, you know, less of a focus on what party you belong to and more on what leaders bring to the table and more of a return in, um, you know, working together and getting out of this tribalism mindset. Oh, yeah. Um, so, you know, for me, I feel like by being beholden to no party <laughs> um, by any means, you know, that's giving me um, the freedom right now to kind of explore different ideas and to, um, you know, continue on my journey of figuring out what I think is, you know, in the best interest. And I think, you know, for me, um, you know, in the future, like I would probably donate to different um different people that belong to some of these smaller third parties um, at the local level, because I think that's where it's going to start is like, we need, you know, people from not only the libertarian party, but you know, the green party yes. or the, the, you know, the working family parties to start getting offices locally and at the state level and, you know, kind of break up this, um, this bipartisan mess that we're in. Yeah. I'm, I'm on the board for, it's an organization called the trailblazers pack. Uh, they're actually based in the Southern tier of New York and their entire focus is supporting local candidates who are willing to open up the books and to show that, you know, there's no dark money show, you know, completely open, you know, who's funding your campaign and then they'll yeah. endorse you because they, they're looking for, you know, honest 
ethical people, regardless of party. And and again, Genesis, so you're hitting the nail on the head in terms of the way I've been approaching things here, and it is more from a federalist approach. I do think having more localities making decisions for localities. So, for example, right, I I look at New York, and I mean, just look at the microcosm that is the North Country. It's not New yeah. York City. It's it's literally a different world. And like, I think New York State would be better served if. It was more localized. I mean, let New York's like upstate New York be upstate New York. Let Western New York be Western New York. But I guess then, you know, we had to put on our our. Well, that means we had to, you know, have some tough conversations. And and we've seen in the past there's this desire to keep the U.S. kind of as it is. But I think we are getting to a point where we're, I don't know, getting more civilized if that sounds you know at all right i guess but like we're able to have conversations that are difficult and be like well can, i mean can we have conversations that are difficult because like i think your average person's kind of looking at the world right now and being like why is california making rules for florida and why is florida trying to make rules for new york and why is new york trying to make rules for alaska it doesn't make yeah. sense and i'm thinking the more that we're starting to to have this conversation people are saying listen you go do your thing we'll go do our thing I think that's going to be the way we're going to to best live together. And, and honestly, that kind of leads me more to like why I think the, the libertarian answer is going to be ultimately where people just naturally come to agree. Because the beautiful thing, and I would say, and, and as we start to wrap up here, it, when I'm trying to sell liberty, and this is one of the things I've been talking about here at my show, it's not difficult because I can say to a Democrat, um, not Democrat, now uh, doing independent thought, fiscally conservative person like yourself – that I can say you could be that in a libertarian, more, you know, voluntary society because nobody's forcing you to to live a certain way so long as whatever you're doing in, in your world isn't impen- like impeding on somebody else. As long as you're not hurting somebody, not taking their stuff, if we're going to go full circle and put a nice big bow on top of this episode, as long as you're yep. not doing that, then you're able to, to, to you know, if you want to, to have a, a, you know, commie group, a uh, you know, little commune of, of folks – People can go ahead and do that. If you want to be, you know, super right-wing Christian conservative group, go do that. But as long as you're not forcing folks. I mean, let's yeah. let's be real. We have some of the most voluntarist people in our hometowns, the Amish. They they live their yeah. lives and they're kind of like, you know, hey, listen, we'll do our thing, you do your thing, and we coexist. Yeah. It, and it works, yeah. right? Yeah. We're not forcing them to, to do you know, like we don't try to force them to come to the English school. If we did, we would get we would get a lot of uh, a lot of not happy Amish folks, right? And and we, yeah, we want absolutely. to be able to be comfortable with our community. So I guess you know as we wrap up here, Janessa, let's kind of um I guess set some framework as we head forward, right? Where do you think we can build some some bridges? You know, my my libertarians and maybe some more of the conservatarian, the folks who are Republican leaning, who are more open to conversations with folks from the left or more independent minded folks like yourself. What are some things that you're looking to build bridges on right now as we move forward into the uh, the, the future, 2022 and beyond? Yeah. So I think what is so interesting is in a lot of cases, when you actually look at like the issues, a lot of Americans agree on like infrastructure, (laughs) like, you know, a lot of Americans agree, um, you know, that our healthcare system is whack, (laughs) you know, kind of (laughs) be blunt, you know, like this doesn't make sense, you know, like maybe we disagree on what the solutions are and we have different ideas. 
um, you know, most of us are like, hey, maybe we, you know, our deficit is out of control. Like we need to do something about that. Um, you know, I think most of us agree that, um, you know, when it comes to Social Security, whether what the future of it, it ends up being that for the people, you know, our parents age, they've been given a promise. And I know with our North Country values that when you promise someone that you're going to do something, you do it, you know. Um, you know, so I think finding those issues where we agree and I think that is important, but I think right now with what's going on is that we're seeing people retreat into their bubbles and into their echo chambers. So just reminding, I think the first thing we need to do is just remind people that like, we do agree on most of these things. Like we're not that different. Like I think really bringing diverse people together and getting them to realize that the people on the other side are not necessarily these evil monster, other people, you know, and kind of drop some of the, um, the aggression and the name calling that's become so popular. Um, and, you know, just talk and listen to each other, I think, is where that process needs to start. Absolutely. Well, honestly, this conversation here is exactly how I want to to be able to to move forward. Because, I mean, candidly, we started out, we were on Facebook, and I was like, screw this. Like, we can't, we, this is so difficult yeah. <laughs> to have a real conversation. And, and you know what, and I, I've told folks on the, on the left too. And, and Janessa, you know, candidly, you are one of five, five, six people who have actually accepted my invite from the left to come on the show and have this discourse, which I'm going to say, I mean, it, it is a little telling to me because I would think it'd be more folks from the right who would be, you know, more wanting to isolate and not go and talk to people. But actually I've seen kind of to the contrary. I mean, like to see some, have, some oh, yeah, yeah. And like, I mean, that's, that's a big deal. I think, I mean, I went onto a, um, a more, uh, it's like a democratic socialist discord channel. And they, they were like doing an ask libertarian panel. And it's like, you have to, right. You have to be able mm -hmm. to talk to people because at the end of the day we live here together. And if we can't agree, then at the very least we can agree to disagree and you know, we'll, we'll Voltaire it, right. I'll defend your right to say what you'll say to the death. Um, and, and I think, we need to get, kind of get back to that mindset. People are, I think, have escaped. Absolutely. Yeah, people have escaped that. So, I mean, Janessa, I, I'm definitely, I'm thinking you're you're going to be coming back on the show sometime in the near future because I think this is a conversation that's going to continue to evolve. And I'd love to see kind of as you're going through this independent mind that you're currently, um, you know, exploring to see where you do end up. I, I am fascinated. It's funny. My sister just, uh, she's in college and I've been having conversations with her asking, you know, where she started, where she is now. And, and I'm curious where she ends up because I know where I went into college and, and my entire worldview from where I went into where I left was completely changed. And it wasn't a bad thing. I will say too, there is a misconception about college in general. And yes, the college has gotten hyper radicalized in the past few years. And that's without, you know, debate. But when you look at like, the, the the good conversations. I mean, one of my favorite professors, he was the complete opposite of me in political ideology. But at the same point in time, he challenged me to, to question why I believe what I believe. He never took into consideration my ideas being something that he was going to, you know, jab me at in terms of grades. It was something to help me intellectually grow as a person. I think we need to put ourselves around people who are making us uncomfortable because being uncomfortable makes us get better. And once you get better, mm -hmm. it rises across society. I think we're going to see that across the board. 
And Janessa, again, it starts with conversations like this. So Janessa, if folks wanted to go ahead and, and get in touch or I guess, you know, find, I know you said you were doing some, some small business stuff there. So if people want to support your business, what can they do and go ahead and support you and help you out? Um, yeah. So if you, anyone's interested in getting in touch with me, um, for private tutoring or small business consulting, um, I'm working on getting my website up, but I am on Facebook, um, under Janessa Fenton services. So feel free to reach out. I'm happy to, to talk to folks in the conversation. For sure. Absolutely. Janessa, thank you so much for joining the Brian Nichols show and uh, we'll make sure we include your link. So if folks can have an easier uh, time to find you so they can make sure they give a, give a reach and uh, get all the help they could possibly need. Janessa, thank you so much for joining the show. Awesome. Thank you so much, Brian. Take care. Before we wrap up, I want to tell you about an amazing new podcast. You longtime listeners of The Brian Nichols Show know him well, and that is one Brad Palumbo and his stellar new program, Breaking Boundaries. Join Brad as he interviews top writers, politicians, and thinkers from all across the political spectrum to give you a new perspective you won't find in the mainstream liberal media or right-wing echo chambers. From guests like Rand Paul to Glenn Greenwald, Brad is having conversations and focusing on issues that are driving America with the people who are in the driver's seats. So... Head over to your favorite podcast app, hit subscribe, strap in, and be prepared for some wild food takes like Rand Paul and his grand mayonnaise conspiracy. Again, that's Breaking Boundaries with Brad Palumbo, available in your favorite podcasting app today. Alrighty, folks, that's going to wrap up my conversation with Janessa Fenton. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Of course, as much as I did. Uh, and if you did, please do me a favor. Make sure you share with family and friends. And, and this, I think, is an example of how we can have conversations with people that we don't agree with 100%. And it's okay that we disagree. And I think at the end of the day, we have to focus more. And this is where Janessa and I really do end up agreeing uh, 100%, I'd say, on local local politics. Focusing on the, the real issues that are going to matter to uh, you know, the, the people that matter the most to us. And that is the people in our respective communities, our families. So uh, I, I I really appreciate Janessa taking the time to join us here in the show today. And I appreciate you guys sharing the episode. And when you do share the episode, please do me a favor. Give me a tag wherever it is you share it at B Nichols Liberty, Twitter, Facebook, Minds, and Parlor.com. Make sure you tag me at B Nichols Liberty. And I'll make sure I give you a retweet, share, whatever it may be. I will make sure I go ahead and do it. And folks, Heading into Friday, we have an amazing conversation with professor from Brown University of Political Science, Jim Marone, a conversation focusing on why, <laughs> really, it's funny how we end up having uh, these conversations that kind of go hand in hand, why the traditional Democrats and Republicans are losing voters like Janessa and yours truly. Why are we no longer Republicans and Democrats, but also why are some of these voting demographics that were traditional safe havens like Latinos for Democrats and, and you know, white people for Republicans now drifting away and Latinos now voting more for Republicans than ever before and white folks starting to abandon the Republican Party in mass. So really discussing why uh, these two parties are having some issue with uh, their their overall base. And we're seeing a real interesting realignment in politics. So a great conversation with Professor uh, Jim Marone. And fun fact, he was a professor of political science at Brown for uh, Andrew Yang. <laughs> we discuss uh, Andrew Yang's fun little uh, policy of UBI. And he goes, yeah, my my college student who, who had that silly little proposal. I said, your college student? Yes, Andrew Yang. Andrew Yang was a Jim, Professor Jim Marone's uh, student. So you'll get to hear about that and, and a lot of other fun stuff coming up here on Friday. So make sure if you have not yet hit subscribe and do not miss a single episode of 
The Brian Nichols Show. You guys know we have so many amazing shows uh, coming up in store here as we wrap out the rest of 2020 and into 2021. My goodness, guys, strap in more content, some more added bonuses. Our Patreon is going to be coming back from the dead, and we're going to have a lot more available content for you folks from educational stuff and also to uh, just some more conversations about issues that you guys care about. So, guys, with that being said, thank you again to Janessa for joining us here on The Brian Nichols Show. But that being said, it's Brian Nichols signing off here on The Brian Nichols Show for Janessa Fenton. We'll see you Friday. Thanks for listening to The Brian Nichols Show. Find more episodes at briannicholsshow.com.